What I've concluded is I've concluded that there are three types of people. There are those who think before they speak. There are those who think while they are speaking. And there are those who think after they have spoken. My question to you this morning is which one of these are you? And if I told you that the Bible says that every word that comes out of our, uh, out of our mouths, so let me say it like this. If I told you that God records the words that you speak, would this help you to think before you speak? If God records the words that you speak, would that help you to think before you speak? Now, uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 12, one of the things I want to share with you is that there is a demon-possessed man that they brought to Jesus. And uh, this man was blind and this man was um, unable to talk. And Jesus healed him. And after Jesus healed him, they accused Jesus of casting out this demon by the spirit of Satan. And Jesus says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he began to say that if Satan is casting out himself, then how long would they be in operation? So uh, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He began to tell them these words here. In the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 12, verse 36 and 37, champions, let's read that like we know it is the word of his power. Now, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And so this key word here is in verse 36 it is the word idle, idle, idle. Jesus says you will give an account of every idle word that you speak. So God is recording your idle words. And when we look at that, what's interesting is that this key word, idle, you know what this word means? In the Greek, it refers to being unemployed or inactive. Unemployed or inactive. And so look at this here. It's a negative participle that's mixed with the Greek word that literally means to work, to work, to work. And so idle words are contrast to being employed, being productive, being active, being positive. And so when the Bible talks about we will give an account of the idle words, Jesus is saying that these words, they're, they're, they're more like a construction, talking about constructions. These words should build up these words shall work for you, not against you. That's what he's saying. They should be employed. They should be working. They should be working for you, not against you. So when Jesus talks about that these, and I tell you that you must give an account of every unemployed word, every unproductive word, every word that's not working for you to get an answer, if every word that is not building up, that you will give an account for, and I'm recording each one of those words. And so the question then is that how do we have words that work for us? These words are supposed to work for us. How do we have words that work for us? And it's a concept found in uh, what we refer to as edification. Edification, and, and it's where we use words on, in a building or a construction project to build up. And so I'll give you an example of the words that work. You remember in, I believe it's in the book of, uh, of Numbers that 
that uh, Jesus, or God rather, God tells Moses, he tells Moses, you know, they're thirsty, they're hungry. And so God tells Moses, he says, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to uh, get with Aaron, get the people together. I want you to speak to the rock. And then I want you to drink from the, from the water. Get with Aaron, get the people together, speak to the rock, and then drink the water. And Moses started out pretty good. He got with Aaron. He got with the people. But rather than speaking to the rock, he spoke to the people. See, God was telling him, speak to the rock and get the answer. But he spoke to the problem. And he called the people a rebellious people. And he smote the rock rather than speaking to it. And, because, and he smote it again. He got the water out of it. But that first disobedience caused him to miss out on the promised land. So notice this. He says that those words shall work for you. They shall be employed by you. They shall be profitable and build up. And so what we recognize then is that uh, these words, just as what God has shared with us, our words, they should be productive, they should be positive, and they should be working for us. And so what we've got to do is that, how many of you know it's hard, it's hard. That's why James says no one can tame the tongue and how significant it is as part of our lives. So it's hard. And so that's why uh, we've got to uh, recognize then that how can we do this? How can we do this? How can we build up? And so many times we have to think before we speak. Slow to speak, quick to listen, so that what we do might honor him. Now, let me, let me show you something here. I saw a, uh, an article in the Houston Chronicle, and I'm going to just read it to you. It says, it's a teacher who had uh, two students, two students in, their, in her class, in his class, rather, was named, was, uh, named Johnny. And one was a great student, uh, engaged, a really, really fine student. The other one was a troublemaker that just loved to goof off. And he didn't take studying very seriously. And so uh, th there was a parent-teacher meeting. And so uh, the, one of the parents came up. And the mother that came up, she came to the teacher, to the teacher and said, how is Johnny doing in class? And the teacher assumed she was the mom of the better student. So he replied, I can't tell you how much I enjoy your son. I'm so glad he's in my class. And the next day, problem Johnny came to the teacher and said, my mom told me what you said about me last night. I haven't ever had a teacher who wanted me in his class. But a few weeks later, this student had become one of the teacher's hardest working students. Why? It's because the words built him up. Although they were unintended, they still built him up. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that everyone will have to give God an answer for even their casual comments that they make. That may tear someone down, that may tear down, may not build up, may not be positive, but will be negative. And that's why repentance and apology is so important. Because the Bible tells us that, he says that you're going to give account, a judgment of that. And so the Bible tells us that 
God has, has created a way of escape for us that we repent. There's no condemnation in those who serve him. But then also on those that are, uh, are not Christ followers, then they've got to answer to all the idle words that they've spoken without repentance and without apology. Now, so right really quickly this morning, I'm going to give you seven words that will transform your life. Seven words that will transform your life. And, and these words must be understood in your heart and they, and they must be understood and released from your heart. Seven words. And uh, we're going to look uh, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 10 and 14. But before we go there, I want to give you a, uh, a picture of what this is. Uh, the king, uh, the great king, uh, you remember the Bible talks about how Hezekiah had rebuilt, restored, and reestablished the temple, reestablished worship in the temple. And as, uh, as, as Hezekiah had reestablished or reset worship in the temple, he took out all the things from the previous king and uh, all the idols, and he restored that worship, and they began to magnify God. Now, what's interesting is that um, Manasseh comes along, and when Manasseh comes along, Manasseh undo, undo what the good king did. And so he began to uh, bring idols in and he began to worship false gods. He even began to even sacrifice his own children, kill his own children as an act of sacrifice. He, 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 he got wise counsel, but he wouldn't listen to the wise counsel. He just did. He just hung out with his frat brothers and began to do what his frat brothers did or instructed him. And so he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. And so the, God began to speak to Manasseh. He began to share with Manasseh. And, and in verse 10, 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, verse 10. Come on, champions, let's read that together like we know it is the word of his power. First of all, the Bible says that when God began to speak to them, to him, that he didn't really listen. And so he, he was taken away from his, his place. Let's read it together now. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. Oh my gosh. How many of you know this is not gonna turn out good? I mean, Manasseh, spoke, uh, God spoke to him, but he ignored all of his warnings. Let's keep reading together now. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chain, and led him away to Babylon. Now, when the Bible talks about they put a ring in his nose, it wasn't those decorative rings that you see around today. No, 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 this ring was huge. And what they would do is they would put this huge ring in his nose and the nose and they would drag them around by their nose and it was the greatest act of humiliation and uh, literally the, the act of powerless person who's been pulled around by a ring that's in someone's nose so he was like oh my god that ring was in his nose and he was pulled all around and they took him to Babylon into captivity Let's come on, let's keep reading verse 12. Let's read it together now. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. 
And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. Now, can you imagine this? He's a king. He has power, he has authority, he has a kingdom, but he still did not understand the words that God was speaking to him, the words that would build him up. And he began to uh, uh, worship idols, sacrifice his own children. And can you imagine when God wanted to restore him to, to the kingdom, that, that, that the people that were there said, no, this cannot be. He's the one that worshiped idols. He's the one that uh, killed his children as part of a sacrifice. There's no way. But the Bible says that he humbled himself and he prayed and it moved the heart of God. You know what's interesting? Is that he removed, the, he came back, he removed the foreign gods. He removed the idols from the temple. He put his soldiers there to make sure that they were protected. And he tore down the altars and threw them outside the city. You know what he did? He restored the altar of worship. He restored and he began, notice this, and now he began to encourage and build up the people to worship the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is that I told you I'm going to give you seven words. Let me give you the first three words. What brought about this change for Manasseh? What is it that caused him to come back and be restored back to the kingdom? The first thing he said that was, I am wrong. He recognizes I'm wrong. You know, I'm wrong <laughs> within himself. I'm wrong. Now, 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 he recognized that he was wrong. Not only was he wrong, but he's always been wrong. And what God said is right. He recognized that, but I was wrong. And, and when God said, Let's get him back into Jerusalem. He's restored. And the people's like, man, he's a criminal. How can he be restored? But see, something happens. These seven words can change your life when you say I'm wrong. You know, we're living in a, in a, in a society, in a culture now where people don't like to admit that they're wrong. I'm never going to apologize. I'm, I, I, I'm going to argue even if it's not true, just so that I can have my own dignity on my own reality. And so you don't hear that people saying I was wrong a lot. You know what's the amazing thing about it? One of the things I realized a couple of years ago is that I, 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 what does it feel like to be wrong? I asked myself that, what does it feel like to be wrong? And, and you know what I was just thought about is, is I thought about in my childhood days that there was a Bucks Roadrunner and the Coyote. How many of you, does that still come on today? Yeah, okay, great. Praise the Lord, we've got some. So, so, so Roadrunner and the Coyote. And do you know what's interesting is that a Coyote is a bird. And I mean, now a Roadrunner is a bird. And a Roadrunner could, could actually fly, uh, should be able to, at least for some distance. But you know what's interesting is that the Coyote... The coyote is running after the roadrunner and runs and runs and runs after the roadrunner. The roadrunner, boom, runs off of the cliff. The coyote runs off the cliff behind the roadrunner. But if you remember that, the coyote doesn't fall. The coyote only falls when 
when they look down and recognize I was wrong. So you ask the question, what does wrong feel like? You know what wrong feels like? Wrong feels like you're right. Wrong feels like right until you realize you're wrong. And he realized, I mean, the coyote felt like, hey, this is all right now. Oh, oh, and then he falls. So notice this, that he says that, he says that I'm, wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And when anyone says I'm wrong, God says, I'm going to make you right. And that's something we've got to really practice more and more of. That, come on, would you say that with me? I am wrong. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. You know what? There's something powerful when um, uh, a husband says to his wife that I'm wrong. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when a wife says to her husband, I am wrong. It is even more difficult when a, when a parent says to their child that I, I, I was wrong. And a child says to their parent, notice what it does to a relationship if someone could say that I am wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And you know what? I, I, that happened to me a couple of months ago. We had a, a garage door that just the opener just wouldn't work. It was just all messed up. And, and Gwen uh, called someone to come and fix it. And when she called them to come and fix it, she, uh, she left the house. And I was there, and so uh, the team came by, they did, they did an assessment of it, told me how much it was going to cost. I negotiated the price and got a better deal. And when I negotiated the price, got a better deal, I called Gwen, but she didn't answer right away. And so I told them to go on and do the work. And, and, and she called me back. And when she called me back, they had already taken part of it down. And I said, uh, honey, this is what they want. And I stuck my chest out and I said, but I negotiated it down to this. She said, I did not want them to fix it. I just wanted them to give me an estimate so that I could compare it to two or three other estimates that I had gotten. She says, go tell them, don't do the work. And I says, but they've already started. She says, go tell. And I said, you should have been here. This is your deal, not mine. And I felt that whole way all Saturday evening until I got to church Sunday. And I was trying to lift my hands to worship. And God's like, you got to be kidding Then I recognized, you know what? Gwen, I was wrong. And she, you know what she said? It's about time. <laughs> I think that's an idle word. <laughs> so, so we've got to get into practice of saying I'm wrong. Would you say it one more time? I am wrong. Those are the first three words that will change your life. We've got seven words. And that's what Manasseh said. He says, you know what, I'm wrong. I've been wrong, but God's been right. I've been wrong, but God's been right. Now notice this. This is the next two words. The next two words I'm going to give you. He says, forgive me. Forgive me. <laughs> Not just that I'm wrong, because see, if you were just wrong, it's important to recognize that you, you're wrong. Uh, but it's another thing you've got to say, you know, forgive me. You've got to... Repent and uh, apologize. 
Because if you just go around saying I'm wrong, I'm wrong, you'll get depressed because you're never right. And if you do not repent and ask them to forgive you, uh, then what happens and apologize, what happens is that it doesn't really hurt them, but you carry around the weight because you have not released it. And so what you've got, the first thing is that I am wrong. Would you say that I'm wrong? How about the second, uh, the next two words, forgive me. Would you turn to someone around you and would you say, forgive me? You may not even know them, but turn to somebody else and say, forgive me. Glory to God. Turn to somebody else and say, forgive me. Look, look, you may, now doesn't that make you feel better? You may not even know them, but it makes you feel better. Why? Is because you said that I am not going to carry around. You're practicing, you're practicing words that will construct and build, not tear down. And, and, and so notice, man, this dude was restored. Amen. He was restored. He was restored. Uh, I, I'm going to forgive me. That's a, that's a powerful word. Now I'm going to read to you in the book of Luke chapter 10. Uh, and, and I'm not going to show you uh, that on the monitor. But if you do have your Bibles, you can open it and read with me. But it's about two uh, men. When we talk about forgive me, forgive me, it's so critical that we do ask for forgiveness. In Luke chapter 10, verse 10 and 14, these uh, words that I was uh, speaking, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. And the Pharisee posed and prayed like this, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like the robbers and the crooks and the adulterers or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all of my income. Meanwhile, notice the pride that he has. Thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like a crook. I'm not like an adulterer. I'm not like a robber. I even do spiritual things, fast and tithe. But verse 13 says, meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, look up and say, God, Give mercy. Forgive me a sinner. And Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other one, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. Isn't that, isn't that kind of what happens? You know what? There's this uh, game you, uh, I saw, I'm telling you, I saw this with my own eyes. Gwen and I were in San Antonio and uh, they had this game where you look at your, you look at your cell phone, it was called uh, Pokemon something. What was it called, y'all? Y'all, you know what I'm talking about. And so what it is is that you would, you would uh, it'll, it'll take where you are, something like that, and you would look at it, and, and you, would, you would move according to that. We were on the Riverwalk, and we saw this guy. And the next thing we knew, he had walked into the river wall and fallen down on his face. And I was like, my gosh, what's wrong with that dude? Wet his phone up. And how many of you know that when iPhones get wet, they're gone? But Androids? So notice this, 
God said that not the Pharisee, but the one who actually humbled himself, said that I was wrong, I've been wrong, forgive me. He was the one that Jesus said that was right with, the Bible says, right with God. So the first two, the three words is I am wrong, the second or forgive me. Let me give you the last two. Whether it's with people or whether it's with God, you can say to God, I'm wrong. You could say to other people, I'm wrong. You could say to God, forgive me. You could say to other people, forgive me. And then lastly, you want to thank him. You want to thank him. In Colossians chapter 3, as our team comes, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it's going to give us the framework of that. Because the Bible says that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, champions, let's read that. this. Like we know, it is the word of his power. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. To live in what now? To live in what? To live in peace and what? Always be thankful. And so he says that, look, you you are called to live in peace as members. That we let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. And then you are to live in peace. You are to live in peace. You are to live in peace. And the Bible says, and give thanks to him always. And I just want to ask you this, is that when's the last time you said to someone, thank you, we, thank you, thank you. When's the last time that you said to him, oh, Father, I thank you. He says that, 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 that always be thankful. Not sometimes, but can you imagine how this changes your attitude if you look at not what you do not have, but what you do have, and you can thank God for what you have? That, that, that as it says that if there are, there's nothing else in the fields or in the barns, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And one of the amazing things that we'll see is that the very thing that caused us to move from a place of innocence to a place of consciousness is simply because that there were a people who, uh, Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that God had blessed them, God built this garden, he put, the, he put them blessed in the garden, God caused everything to grow. God told them what he wanted. He says that, look, you can eat from any tree that's here except for one, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here they are, they're gonna walk around and rather than saying, look, I can eat from a thousand trees, and when I've eaten these other thousand trees, then I'll eat this thousand and one tree. But no, what happened is that they're in a perfect environment where, number one, that everything that they see belongs to them. So no one can steal. No one can steal. Everything belongs to them. Look, they can't commit adultery. Because, see, he's got the hottest wife, guess you can say that. She's got the m- most manliest man. And, 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 and as a result of that, that they can't, they don't even, they wouldn't even commit adultery because they've got the most beautiful of both pairs. But yet, but yet they are dissatisfied with what God has done for them. And rather than looking at what they have, they begin to think God is holding out on me. That there is some fun that he doesn't want me to have. There is some stuff he doesn't want me to, to, to possess. He doesn't want me to know what he knows or be like him. And, and, and they, were, they became dissatisfied with what they had, discontented, and then disobedient. 
And many times, what we've discovered during our weekly uh, uh, series is that God reveals himself in phases. Not all at one time. He reveals himself in phases. And they did not understand fully what God was doing. But if they would have known that I just need to obey him and what he has said to me, that they would have eaten of the tree of life and they would have been innocent their entire lives. But they did not understand that by disobeying him that they would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and now they are having to do everything that they know is good and abstain from everything that they know is bad. But you know what? In each time God delivered them, set them free so that he can continue his people. Every time he delivered them and he set them free. Adam and Eve, he delivered them. What did they try to do? Cover up with figs or leaves rather. And what did he do? He covered them with the blood of an animal. He saved them. So this is what we've got to do, church, is that when we talk about our words, one of the things that's so important that we've got to recognize that we're not always right, that God's always right. And that if we say anything, the Holy Spirit will convict us. And it is at that moment, no matter how hard it is, you've got to say, I am wrong. Come on, would you say that with me? I am wrong. Then you have to say these next words, forgive me. Come on, one more time, forgive me. And then you want to thank him, thank him, thank him. When's the last time you thanked somebody?